Francisco Commission on Aging and Adult Services. Um, will the secretary please take the call of vote? President Gustavo Serena. Here. Vice President Katie Liu. Here. Commissioner Michael Pappas. Here. Commissioner Teddy Brijas is excused. Commissioner Jeremy Wallenberg. Here. At this time, we ask that you silence all electronics. Thank you. Um, may I have a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Second. Second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. Thank you. Motion carried. And um, may I have a motion to approve the June 20th, 2018 meeting minutes? So moved. Second. Second. Thank you. Any comments, questions? Can we please also note that Executive Director Mr. McSpadden is here? Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank you. And uh, anyway, um, all in favor of approval of the minutes? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Katie? Yes. And motion carried. Thank you. And now, the direct Executive Director's report. Good afternoon, Commissioners. So I wanted to start off by talking about um, DOS's um, representation at the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging meeting in um, July in Chicago. So we actually were fortunate to have 11 people there, um, people from our management team as well as people from the planning, the HSA planning team representing, which was great. Um, it was really nice to be able to spread out and go to different workshops and bring back different information um, back to our team. I think one of the things that we heard there that we continue to hear is that there's just a lot of concern about what's going to happen in the um, federal budget in this next year. There's a lot of conversation about cutting the services that we work very hard to protect and that we worry about a lot. Um, there was also a lot of talk about the Older Americans Act reauthorization and what the strategy around that should be with respect to getting it reauthorized. I mean, if you, for those of you who are on the commission a few years ago, you probably remember that um, we just reauthorized, or the Older Americans Act was just reauthorized a few years ago. It's already up again for reauthorization. And so I think um, N4A is trying really hard to figure out strategically what the best approach to that should be. Is it time, is it a good time now to open that up again and open up the conversation? Or is it best to wait until um, the political <clears throat> situation looks a little bit more favorable to older people. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I think there's, we're probably going to be looking, we're probably going to be needing the commission and the advisory council um, to really weigh in and, you know, support the Older Americans Act and the programs that are related to it in this next year as we look at the budget. I mean, I think that a lot of our programs continue to be at risk. So that was one of the big takeaways from that meeting. But in addition, we had a lot of chance to hear from other um, AAAs and, and their related partners and hear about some really fantastic um, ideas, like things that we could probably implement here. So we had a follow-up meeting last week when we, when we came back with our internal team to talk about some of the things that we might talk about implementing in San Francisco. Um, as usual, we often are reminded, I mean, once again, we were reminded that we have great programs here when we have great support um, from having fantastic commissioners to having great advisory council members and really, gr you know, just really strong advocates in the community. And that carries us a lot farther than um, a lot of our colleagues are able to be carried. <laughs> um, we just, we just certainly have a lot more money in these programs than a lot of people do. 
C4A, California Association of Area Agencies on Aging, is having its annual board retreat in September, and we'll be focusing this year on a couple different things. One is um, behavioral health and really making sure that older adults are included in Mental Health Services Act programs. Um, one is really thinking about housing and trying to figure out um, if there's a partnership that we can have between the C4A, as we call it, and the California Welfare Directors Association to come up with some new, you know, maybe potentially new housing le legislation that helps support people stay at home safely. Um, and also we're looking there at reframing aging as we are in San Francisco. So that's exciting. It's kind of my contribution to C4A board is to bring in people from frameworks to talk to the directors about um, reframing aging and how we might do some statewide campaigning around ageism. So moving on to reframing aging, um, we, I'm really excited that we've, we actually launched our reframing aging campaign work last week. Um, your Commissioner Wallenberg is involved in that group, so it's really exciting to have him and have the commission represented there. But one, you know, we're really looking at building a two-pronged campaign, one to um, talk about you know, reframing aging in San Francisco and combating ageism and ableism, but also making sure that people really know how to access our services. And as you remember that we found out from the community needs assessment and also other places that people don't know how to access our services often when they need them. So it's exciting to embark on this. It's gonna be a lot of work. Um, we hired Diane Krantz, who, many, who you may know, but many people in the community know, um, who is gonna be our project manager. So it's really gonna help to have her leading us because this is a lot of work a lot of volunteers are involved, and you know we need somebody who can kind of corral us in the right, and move us in the right direction. So excited about that. We had our first meeting August 8th, and we'll continue to meet monthly, um, and we'll have some committees working um, alongside that bigger work group. We also just launched a um, residential care, care for the elderly work group. This is um, something that the Coordinating Council has taken on in part at the request of Supervisor Yi, who's really interested in um, ensuring that there are residential care facility beds in San Francisco, as, as we know that a lot of them have disappeared and there's just kind of a will in the city to make sure that we maintain what we have and hopefully um, entice people to, to grow the number of beds that they have. Um, that they're contracting with the city for. Um, this is something Mayor Breed has announced that she's very interested in. She put money, a million dollars, into um, kind of really helping to support the RCFEs in San Francisco and is hoping that the Coordinating Council and this work group in particular can find some recommendations and good solutions for keeping residential care facilities in the community, particularly when we think about the people who um, need them most, which is people who are in the behavioral health system, people who are, um, are clients of adult protective services, people with advanced dementia. So we'll be working on that. Um, and again, th there are a number of people in this room who are involved in that process, in that group. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about today is the mayor's um, office sent out a, um, a bunch of policy recommendations. So you may have read in the paper, heard that right after Mayor Breed was elected, she held, um, she had a lot of policy advisors kind of and broke them out into different interest areas. 
um, to come up with certain policy and recommendations for her and things that, that they would like her to work on. And I think she was trying to find a diverse group of people, meaning people from all walks of life, re regular San Francisco residents who work in or go to school here, um, people with disabilities, older people, children, and you know who represent who represent those groups, and then um, business, et cetera. So um, people came together on a Saturday and and really started to try to hammer out some recommendations. And so the mayor has asked departments to take a look at those recommendations and kind of respond with a pretty short memo about you know where like you know, where a department's interests fit in with those recommendations and what we're doing about some of those recommendations if we're already working on those. So we're in the process as a department of, of preparing that memo. Um, we will combine it with the memo from the Office of Early Care and Education and Department of Human Services so that we as a human services agency can send back those memos as an agency. But that's something that we're working on and that is due at the end of the month. So I think that's what I have for today unless you have questions for me. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Lou, do you have a question? Yeah, I'm just wondering, do we have the final budget yet for the department? We do have the final budget for the department. The, um, yes. Um, the mayor signed the budget on August 1st, and so we have our final budget. Yes. What is the month? I don't remember exactly what it is. I think it's, where's Alex? I know Alex. 325? 334, 334 million. Question, um, Shireen, you mentioned the reauthorization for the Older Americans Act and the thinking and discussion about the political strategy to see that that is done. How widespread is familiarity with the Older Americans Act? How much does the public know about it and what it entails and how it benefits people? I think, um, I think a lot of people do not know about it. Um, there are a lot of communities that have really focused on talking about it and getting information out about it. And there are even some counties within California that have done a pretty good job of that. Um, particularly, I think people take the opportunity when they're doing their area plan sometimes to do public education around the Older Americans Act and they put out, you know, infographics and things like that that really describe how the Older Americans Act works and how it really and how it really works within communities. Um, that's not something that we have we have done yet, but we certainly could. Um, I, but I would say if you ask the average American about the Older Americans Act, probably there's not a lot of knowledge about it. I don't see much about it in AARP publications right. and so forth. Which, so I think given its significance, if there's a way that we could raise its profile, it might generate more political support. Um, I agree. That's a good point. Yeah, okay. And finally, and, and actually, that's something I can bring up um, as a board member of the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging. I can certainly bring it up with them, and I have a close association with um, people at both AARP and, um, and American Society on Aging. And, and they have a group that meets um, kind of, you know, aging association organization where they could certainly be talking about that more. Yeah, AARP would be a great advocate. Right. So, um, and finally, on the policy recommendations and the, the information that Mayor Breed has requested, was there anything in those task forces that was a surprise to us, different from what we're doing, um, a variation on a theme? Not so much. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity to talk in, you know, in our short memo. There's a lot of opportunity to talk about how what the work that we're doing fits in with some of the policy recommendations, whether it be focused on, you know, there, there was 
um, a group that was looking at children and families and older adults. There was, um, you know, so certainly we fit there. But um, even within homelessness, um, when we think about the homeless preven homelessness prevention work that we do, you know, or the number of homeless individuals that we work with in our various programs, when we think about housing and some of the work we do with housing subsidies, um, we think about workforce and employment, you know, we're certainly doing work there. So I think there are a number of, and, and even in equity, um, there's a whole, there was an equity section, and certainly I think the work that we do brings a different lens to the equity conversation when we start talking about older people and people with disabilities. So I think we have an opportunity to say, you know, these are the areas that we're doing these things. They may or may not match exactly what the people who came up with the recommendations were thinking, but I think that they certainly add to the conversation and to the great work the city's doing. Maybe we can use them to help advocate for more money for some of the programs. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Any thank you. Co other comments or questions for Shireen? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you. Employee recognition. The Department of Aging and Adult Services DAS Commission and Executive Director Shireen McSpadden will recognize Milan Sanchez from the DAS Office of In-Home Supportive Services for her hard work and dedication. Okay, my, can everyone hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay, Mylin, congratulations. Um, I want to start off by talking about the great work that the eligibility unit within um, TUGOF does. And they do, a, they do really special work. So one of the things that we, I'm, I can't talk into there, I'm sorry. <laughs> talk like this. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, can you hear me? Perfect. So, um, so one of the things that we're really excited about today is Mylin does fantastic work within her unit. But also I wanted to talk about um, what the eligibility folks at TUGOF do. So TUGOF is our DOS Benefits and Resource Hub. And what the eligibility workers there do is they really help people access their Medicaid benefits.
leadership and decision-making skills. She has also become our unofficial in-house IT <laughs> expert due to her vast computer knowledge. She's always lent a helping hand when staff has had, has had technical issues and as she's taken the lead in developing our SharePoint website. She's a great fan of Disneyland and Star Wars, and she's a dog owner. So, and I think one of the things that's great is she's brought her experience from another unit um, to, to this unit. And one of the things that we've really noticed is in building this particular um, site at Tugoff is that we've really needed the expertise of people who are willing to come over from other programs and work with us and teach us about what they know about eligibility and, and kind of the world of Medicaid and Medi-Cal. So anyway, Mylynn, thank you so much. And on behalf of, where's the... On behalf of the Department of Aging and Adult Services, I want to say that you are the, our employee of the month for August. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I just wanted to say thank you for this award. It, I, it's an honor to be employee of the month for DOS and HSA. And I just want to thank my fellow coworkers, supervisors, and leadership in DOS for the continued support. Thank you. <laughs> Next is the Advisory Council report, Leon. Leon Schmidt. Good afternoon, President Serenio, Supervisor, uh, Council members, and Mr. Max Madden. The Advisory Council met on July uh, 18th, and at the, our meeting, we had uh, three guest speakers who gave presentations uh, to the Advisory Council. We had Ms. Paula Katz from Save Our uh, L. Terrellville stops, uh, Mr. Antonio White from the Bus Rapid Transportation, and Ms. Karen Kimzik from Rebuilding San Fran uh, Together San Francisco. Uh, Mr. White gave a report on the changes on the 38 bus line uh, that SSMTA is proposing, and members of the council basically asked, you know, what we could do to uh, support him. And we came up with doing a, uh, a letter uh, to SFMTA addressing our concerns that bus stops removal and how it affects seniors along that 38-line corridor. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Katz talked about uh, what's going on on the Terrellville uh, part of town and that they have staged five stops there uh, also with SSMTA. And, uh, so those were the two speakers regarding transportation. Uh, we also had a, uh, an election uh, for Mrs. Betty Hammond to be our representative for uh, the C, uh, CSL to, to continue uh, being our representative for the, to the CSL. We had a report from Mrs. Eleanor Lurie on the Dignity Fund and uh, that report was that the uh, budget was uh, uh, ahead of, was going before the Board of Supervisors and that they were in the Finance Committee. 
We had two site visits, one to the South Sunset Senior Center and also one to the George Davis uh, Senior Center in the Bayview. And lastly, Mrs. Uh, Karen Kimsick report from the rebuilding of San Francisco together reported that they will be doing a, a project in the Bayview on September 15th. So that's our report. Thank you, Leon. Any comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Commissioner Liu? Yeah, what are your findings on the two, uh, the two site visits? The, the, the site visits were very positive. Uh, the one from the Sunset, uh, South Sunset Senior Center, that is a, it's a, a very small site, but it's uh, utilized quite a bit. Uh, there are some issues that uh, they serve uh, mainly a, a, a Chinese community with 70 lunches uh, uh, per day. The, the food is brought in by uh, self-help for the edel elderly, and um, it's utilized quite a bit. And from the George Davis Senior Center, uh, also that, that site is uh, really being utilized and that the number of food uh, clients have increased at that senior uh, daily. So that's really utilized there in the Bayview. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you very much, Leon. Thank you. Next, Diane Lawrence with the Joint Legislative Committee Report. Good afternoon, commissioners. I've been practicing that, so I didn't say good morning. Um, and Director McSpadden, I have to apologize. Uh, my printer ran out of paper, and I turned it off before I ran the last two pages. So, um, But I, a couple of the key bills that I wanted to discuss are here, and you'll have them um, all the detail in your minutes. Um, as you know, we've been tracking 33 bills this year, and we're coming down to the end of this two-year session. Um, one of the bills that we had been ch um, talking about was um, prevention of uh, the not having convicted uh, anyone convicted of a crime working at residential care facilities, um, at health care facilities. Um, that bill was gutted in the last um, couple of weeks, so that bill's off the table for this session, so we'll track to see if it returns um, starting in January in the next session. So far, we've had one bill chapter signed and chaptered by uh, signed by the governor and chaptered, and um, that was on the expanding the definition of what a dependent adult is, whether they live alone or not. Um, the rest of the bills are moving um, through. There was a lot of activity from uh, the last time I reported to you, was which was back in May, um, and we've had two meetings since then in June and July. A number of the um, Bills, the um, one that I want to point out because it come, uh, ties into our discussion of the Older American Act, Americans Act, that's um, AB 2719 by um, Assemblymember Irwin. And that would, uh, that's to look at the um, administer, the, the Department of Aging is responsible to administer the Federal Older Americans Act in California. There are various functions and duties on the department with respect to the development of programs. This bill revises the def definition of greatest social need that's in um, our current legislation, um, the California part of the bill, to include cultural and social isolation caused by sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. And that bill was ordered to the Assembly um, on August 6th. There was a lot of action. There's been, uh, we've been talking about the bill for grab bars and public restrooms. 
That bill's been modified so that we, um, it's hard to determine whether or not that we're actually gonna, the grab bars will be there, but the language was changed from public restrooms, rest grab bars, to ambulatory accessible toilet compartments, uh, to just restroom stalls, disability access, and it was sent to appropriations. A number of these bills are um, at, with appropriations or for their third hearing, and that is also true of the legislation that's been pending on um, emergency services. Um, Senator Weiner's bill on uh, conservatorship continues to be modified. Uh, language has been amended again, and it's been moved to the next, next group to look at it. Um, so I apologize for some of the others that are missing, but there's been a lot of activity, but we're still waiting for more things to be signed and finalized. Thank you, Diane. Any comments or questions? Yeah, I did have a quick question. On the grab bar um, sure. legislation, the change in language, does that ch also change then, therefore, the content of? I'm not sure. Okay. I, I, I need to look at that a little further because as I was reading that, it's like it, that, that definitely becomes a question because okay. I think there was a concern I know with the Advisory Council and CSL, which is sponsoring that bill, that there be, that the grab bars are an important, are important beyond just the ADA stalls. Sure. So I'll check on that for you. Great, thank you. And, and Diane, the, um, the bill regarding employing criminals or crim people with criminal records in various facilities that cater to seniors, why was it gutted? What is the opposition's argument to the bill? I don't know, and sometimes what'll happen is a bill will be gutted because they need that bill number to put something else in. So it's, it's a way of, um, I used to see that when I was working, that sometimes you'd be tracking a bill and all of a sudden, and we've seen that with, a couple, with at least one other one this year, um, and it may even be a few more where you're going, it's, it's something we tr we're tracking, and then all of a sudden it becomes something entirely different um, the next time we meet because they're, they're using that. But I can take a look at that and report next time on that one. Thank you. Any other, com any other comments or questions, Commission? Any from the public? Yeah, um, yes. Uh, one, one I wanted to check in with is AB1811 passed. Please identify was, yourself. Oh, I'm sorry, Ann Quaintance, Meals on Wheels, San Francisco. Nice to see all of you. Um, AB1811 is SSI reversal ca of cash out, and so that actually passed. Okay. I, it, it sounds ridiculous, because I think we've all been trying to work on that for who knows how. 30, 40 years, but um, so that reverse. So that means starting next summer, 2019, every, people on SSI will be eligible for CalFresh. So there is a lot of work around logistics and implementation, and really the state is taking the lead, and I think the rest of us will benefit from that and, and try to figure out how to make sure that our county um, really has the highest rate of people getting on CalFresh that we, we can see, but it'll be tough. Um, there's a lot of myths there. Right, So, and thanks. we'll add that. I'll add that to our tracking because it wasn't one we had been tracking. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Next is the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council report. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Director McSpadden. My name is Valerie Coleman. I am a program analyst with DOS, and I will give the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council update. Um, they met July 12th. And there, were, there was an update on the Dignity Fund from Melissa McGee, 
Um, they also had a retreat in June, so the second item was discussing retreat next steps, what they want to do with that information. The retreat was really focused on looking at the mission, the vision, um, policy goals, and strategies moving forward. So they're continuing to digest that and figure out next steps. Um, the next topic was around, we got a budget update. Um, we got a citywide sort of budget update and analysis from Dan Kaplan, as well as a uh, DOS-specific update from Shireen McSpadden. And then finally, we had a presentation from Michael Blecker uh, from Swords to Plowshares, specifically around the challenges within the VA system um, and how that affects older adults. Um, the presentation and all the information is available on the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council's website, um, <clears throat> including minutes, agendas, uh, other things like that. So if folks would like to review that, you can take a look at that, contact me directly. Do you have any questions? Thank you, Valerie. Any comments or questions? Any comments or questions of the public? Right. Thank you again. Thanks. The case report. No case report. The nominating committee um, is recommending to the commission to reappoint the following advisory council members who are incumbents, William Morota, Kay Parekh, and Beverly Taylor. Because this is coming from the nominating committee, we don't need a second. Um, do we have any discussion? Any comments or questions from the public? And call the question. All in favor of reappointing these three? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Please thank and congratulate all three. Right now, we're, it's time for a general public comment, and that is comment for anything that is not on the agenda. Please come up. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Anna Sylvester. I have one visual that I'm going to show on the uh, projector while after uh, in my speech. I'm here to uh, ask for your support and your email help. The SFMTA board meets next Tuesday, August 21st, here at City Hall, 1 o'clock, to vote on final approval of the Geary Rapid Project. This is it. There are no more appeals. The MTA staff recommendation is to leave the 38 inbound stop at Star King and Goff and not to relocate the stop to Goff and Geary. This is not a good recommendation for seniors and people with disability, and here's why. The current stop is isolated scene of crime and dark at night. In MTA's words, there are no eyes. What that means is there's nobody around. Please speak into the mic. Sorry. There's nobody around to see you. It's a uh, long, winding hill, and it is scary at night. It's scary in the morning, too. There, it's notorious. There are people loitering, sleeping, uh, you know, in the bushes around there and everything else. So I can't take this stop anymore because I'm afraid to stay there, st wait for the bus, or get off the bus. The current stop is on a sloped hill. 
it's difficult for seniors and disabled to dismount and get off and on the bus, especially if you have a baby stroller, a wheelchair, a shopping cart, etc. I myself have trouble doing this. The proposed stop is open and visible, and there are lots of eyes. The proposed stop is in front of St. Mary's Cathedral. It's the proposed stop has lots of eyes. You can see what's going on there. You don't have to be afraid to stand and wait for the bus anymore. The proposed, the proposed stop is level. It's easier for seniors and disabled to get on and off. The proposed stop is the site of community meetings, conventions, tourists, and pilgrim destination, as well as a landmark and an, and an architectural gem in our city. Here's a partial list of community stakeholders who support relocating the stop to Gough and Geary. MTA, Multimodal Accessibility Advisory Committee, or MAC. The MTA's own advisory committee supports relocation. Yes, you heard that right. Senior Disability Action supports relocation. The Cathedral of St. Mary of the Assumption, St. Mary's Cathedral. The Cathedral Hill Tower Home Owners Association. The Canon Dr. Ellen Clark, Executive Pastor, Grace Cathedral, Patricia Tuttle, Mr. Donnelly, Mr. Murray, Ms. Gebhardt, Fifth Church of Christ the Scientist, 450 O'Farrell Street, Deacon Nancy Bryan, St. Mary the Virgin, Jeff Norris, Veteran, Robert Brownstone, Attorney, Fenwick and West, Sean Fletcher, Tectiva, Steve Thank White, you. and I will conclude by just asking you to email the MTA board to support relocation of the inbound 38 to Goff and Geary. Thank you so much. The board meeting is next Tuesday at 1 o'clock. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Any other general public comment? Okay, hearing none. Any old business? Hearing none. New business. Item A, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Institute on Aging for the provision of increasing the Center for Elderly Suicide Prevention and Grief-Related Services, CESP, programs capacity. During the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2019, for an additional amount of $180,000 for a new grant amount of $485,273 plus a 10% contingency for a new total amount not to exceed $533,800. Welcome, Monty Cimino. Good afternoon, President Serenia, Commissioners, and Director McSpadden. My name is Monty Cimino, a program analyst with Office on the Aging. Uh, today we are here to seek your approval for a modification to IOA's Center for Elderly Suicide Prevention, or also known as the CESP program. The CESP program provides 24-7 crisis support to older adults and adults with disabilities including emotional support outcalls, which increase social connectedness for isolated individuals, as well as grief support groups, individual grief counseling sessions, and outreach and education for caregivers and professionals related to topics on suicide risk, assessment, and suicide prevention. Over the past three years, the program has seen a significant increase in its demand for services. And additionally, the community education and training sessions it provides during that time, the program has provided uh, more than 2,000 individual grief counseling sessions, provided training and outreach to over 3,900 individuals, and served more than 5,000 unduplicated San Francisco residents. In addition to the increased call volume, CESP has also seen a shift in the types of calls it receives. 
Callers are presenting with more complex emotional issues, including showing initial signs of mental health issues, as evidenced by exhibiting symptoms such as delusional thoughts, paranoia, anxiety, and depression. Part of the increase in call volume and call complexity could be related to an increase in promotion and awareness of the program's services through insurance companies, clinics, and other community providers. To manage and properly serve clients and the community need, CSP is looking to increase services, which includes increases in staffing, as follows with the proposed contract modifications. The program will use additional funding to help pay for five friendship line counselors. Part of their role is to support and manage the volunteer staff who are fielding calls that come into the friendship line. The program will be using funds to cover the costs associated with training the volunteers, which is a cornerstone of the CESP program. Last fiscal year, they had approximately 176 volunteers come through the program. Uh, costs with training volunteers include background checks, uh, um, putting together and producing materials for a training binder that every volunteer, potential volunteer, receives, in addition to providing lunch for the all-day training sessions that they have for volunteers throughout the year. The program will also use funds to pay for the overnight supervisor of the friendship line. So again, this is a 24-hour crisis line. And so the crisis line is operative for 15 hours a day during, quote, normal business hours. And in the evening hours, there's a volunteer each night that staffs the phone line for crisis calls that come in. Um, additionally, the program will be increasing service units to address the increased call volume and overall need for program services in the following categories. So now I'm going to speak to the service unit increases that are going to be happening. Uh, first, uh, the unduplicated client will increase from 850 per contract year to 1200 per contract year. The hours for grief education, so again, we're talking hours now, not individuals. Uh, the hours for grief education, training, and community outreach will increase from 25 hours per contract year to 50 contract hours per year. Um, the number of participants who are provided grief education and training will increase from 500 per contract year to 725 per contract year. The number of unduplicated consumers provided formal emotional support will increase from 125 consumers per year to 150 per contract year. And finally, the number of individual grief counseling sessions will increase from 50 per contract year to 150 per contract year. Thank you for your time, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you very much, Mike. Any comments or questions from the commission? Commissioner Liu? With the new, what is the start pattern for this program? Because in San Francisco, we have different ethnic groups. Do they have bilingual people in different languages or what? Do you know? That's a great question. So right now, services are provided in English and Spanish. Uh, it is, IOA's CESP program actively looks to engage uh, diverse communities within San Francisco to get individuals to come in that speak multiple languages. Um, there's active involvement when they're out doing their training, education, and their promotion to uh, seek out uh, bilingual individuals to help with the program. Um, at, at times, we're able to get more people. At times, there's a lull. Uh, they did have Chinese-speaking capacity with some of the volunteers later in the last fiscal year. Uh, those people have since moved on, and now they're actively looking to recruit more volunteers from the Chinese community to help with the calls. 
Yeah, because uh, we do have a large Asian population in the city, and uh, I thought, you know, maybe with all the staff, at least they could be actively recruiting bilingual Asian instead of volunteer, because volunteers just just volunteers. Correct. Yes. Yes. And my understanding is that they are actively pursuing that. Um, it is part of their interview process to find out if individuals do have bilingual capacity, Chinese, Spanish, and the, the uh, targeted languages in San Francisco. Okay. When they do the educational to the community and other agencies, do they have bilingual materials? Do you know? To my knowledge, they don't have bilingual, bilingual materials at this time. Would you be encouraging them to have bilingual material? Because, uh, you know, we, such, we have a diverse community in the city of San Francisco. It's, it's a point that's, that's very well made, and I agree. And part of my ongoing conversation with uh, leadership in CESP is diverse staffing and looking into getting materials translated as appropriate into alternate languages. Okay. And one last question, and I, I, I just feel very uncomfortable about the increase of the rent on uh, the last page, okay? It's uh, jumped from $9,856 to $19,445, okay? I mean, I, I know that I, I have brought this question up in the past, and it's like a base on the number of footage to stop. But it, it really, I, I just feel uncomfortable about only have four additional staff and a little increase of other staff, and yet the rent has gone up so much. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a program person, so I, I, I just felt like if we have less reduced the operating costs, we will be more beneficial to have the program. Sure, this is. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, John Sudakawa, uh, contracts director for HSA. So, so we're gonna see this a lot more with the increases in rent. And, and so I, I'm pretty sure the commission understands that a lot of the nonprofits in the city are struggling with the cost of rents, and it actually drives um, a lot of the nonprofits out of the city. Um, there's even, uh, out of, uh, city government, there's a, there's a program to help support nonprofits to stay in the city. And so, so having said that, um, we, when, we, when we review the contracts that come, as they come in from program, when we jo jointly present them to the commission, we look at the line items and try to see if they're within a reasonable cost. And, and so a lot of times with nonprofits, they may own the property, so there's zero rent. Um, in the old days, you would see kind of if you if you were to break it down per FTE, it might be two or two or three hundred dollars per person per month, and so on this with the FTE, I think it's five point six, it comes around four hundred thirty. It doesn't take into account space for um, volunteers or space that are used by the program. Um, nowadays, the square foot for office rent in the city is like seventy six dollars per square foot, and so this is actually. We're, we're, where we're seeing the increases. But some of the stuff for some of the programs, we're seeing like $800, $900 per person per month, and this falls in like the 430. So, so it's high, and it's a big jump, but I, but I think it's a reflection of, of cost of rent, office rent in the city. But it is, it is one thing, like I think the sort of an easy rule of thumb is to take the FTE, divide it into the rent, and get a sense of the monthly cost per, per person, and then try to factor in 
if there's additional space that that program uses. So well, this- I, Institute on Aging have their own building, so they have no threat of increasing rent. Isn't okay. that right? I, I, I think IOA is here and can talk to the rent, or? You, you want to come? It's their own building. Uh, my name is Carolyn Stead. I'm the senior director of Could you integrated behavioral. Speak into the mic. mic. My name is Carolyn Stead. I'm the senior director of integrated behavioral health at the Institute on Aging, and I oversee the Friendship Line program. Um, this is Mia Gregg. She's the actual director of the Friendship Line. Iowa does indeed own the building. Can I? May I ask a question, sure. uh, Commissioner Liu? It's my understanding that some of the programs of Iowa, though, have been uh, utilized at a building that was owned by CPMC and that, um, that they lost that lease, and so they are actively looking for office space. And so I, I'm wondering if this is part of that issue? I don't know that I'm qualified to provide the answer to that, that question. Um, I don't know whether or not that's what would contribute to this. That is, that is true. We have lost space, and we are seeking out additional space for our social day program. Okay. So we're not sure if this program represents incremental, actual incremental cost in terms of rent or if it's a reallocation of existing rent. Um, we don't have the answer to that. Is that, is that right? So our um, rent is based on a standard equations that's used across all programs um, in the organization. It's based on, as was sort of said, um, FTE and square footage. And so, um, uh, our program is quite large. We have over 100 volunteers at any given time. Um, and so we actually have a fair amount of square footage within our building. Um, and so the rent that was presented is based on adding those FTE in, a, in our larger space. Our counselors are in our call center, which is our largest office space. Um, previous uh, uh, personnel that were allocated were generally uh, uh, in much smaller office spaces sharing, you know, uh, two desks within a space that was previously for one person. Uh, so you're seeing an expansion because it's in a larger space. Okay, and again, even if the premises are owned, there are expenses associated with rental property that have to be allocated out. So uh, you, this program, is it taking place in owned premises or in leased premises? On, owned premises. Owned premises, okay. So this represents an allocation, so in theory, the costs are fixed, so another program would be getting less of an allocation, which may or may not be a program that we're funding. That's correct. Okay, thank you. Any other questions, Commissioner? Okay. So, yeah, John. So one, one thing that some, sometimes I think for nonprofits in, in the budget, um, there, there are costs that are associated that are treated as rent that are not actually rent. And, and I think there, there's, there's ways to capture it through depreciation and other items, and I think we'll probably have to look at this budget item and then categorize it correctly in terms of like how it's charged and how that's determined what costs come underneath it. But what might be helpful in the future for issues like this is if we might, get an, we might be told whether this is actually an incremental expense to the agency or reallocation of existing expense. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? I, I do. Yes, I just want to thank you for your uh, both of the presentations, but also, but but most specifically on uh, the challenges nonprofits face. Uh, 
my organization uh, convenes the CEOs of the major 15 major uh, faith-based nonprofits, which during the Great Recession were being asked to cut their budgets by 30 percent, and the uh, and their programs and staff were disappearing. Those budgets were never fully reinstated, and. Uh, then with the housing affordability crisis and the real estate affordability crisis, there, so many of them were, were displaced. And, um, and, and so they, they are struggling. They continue to struggle. Um, and the issue of retaining and attracting uh, staff is, a, is an equal struggle. Um, so I, I just wanted to thank you for, for highlighting that. I would also ask, with the issue of, uh, with the issue of language, um, when when folks call into the uh, call center, uh, is there any sort of intake on what language they're speaking? Because that might be helpful to us in understanding the needs for you know for diversity. We all know that there is a need for diversity, but in in cases like this, uh, to to sort of pinpoint it more. I'll have Carolyn speak to any sort of tracking around people that call in for language capacity. Yeah, yes, we do track language, um, uh, the language of our callers, along with uh, a lot of other demographic information. We can pretty easily provide that. That would be very helpful, I think. Thank you very much. And just one final um, question or comment. <clears throat> Michael, in your presentation, you indicated that the request for this particular service and the need for the program seems to have grown, but it's unclear whether it is because more people are aware that it exists or if there's actually been an increase in the need. And uh, at some point, do you think you'll be able to figure out which it is, or it may be both? You know, that, that's a great question. So my understanding, it's, it's a bit of both. So there has been an increase in um, suicides for seniors, older adults. Um, I don't have the latest numbers off the top of my head. I can happily get those for you. But there has been an increase in the population age 50 and above, actually. Um, and we can get those to you offline. You know. And, and then the other part of this is the community's more aware of the friendship line than they were in previous years. It's something that, that is a more common resource than maybe four or five years ago. So now there's this combination of just the statistics of, of suicide rates for seniors increasing, and then locally, more communities, more providers understanding that the service is out there and, and referring clients to it. So it's a combination of both. But I'll get you those numbers so you have them for reference. Thank you. It's, uh, it, no, don't go to a great deal of trouble. It's just something to monitor because if, if the need is increasing as well as the awareness, then we may want to look at this again and see. Okay, but thank you. Any other comments or questions? Uh, call the question. All in favor? We have a quorum. No, actually, we have to wait for Commissioner Lou to oh, come We do back. have to wait for her to return. Okay. Oh, thank you. Get to stand up here forever. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a soft shoe act, or? I do, but I didn't bring my. Okay. <laughs> In the meantime, may I ask a couple more questions about sure. the friendship line in Absolutely. general? Um, so, with this modification, yeah. and um, and the questions that have proceeded, so does it does would this modification help meet the demands? Do we have the capacity of volunteers and resources to meet the perceived demand that is out there? And, yes. And does this get us there? Yes. You know, so that's a, a great question as well. So the program for the last three years has 
physically seeing the increase in, in services needed. Um, you know, their monitoring visits, they've, they've met or exceeded their service units. So the areas where we're seeing service unit increases is based on, I mean, the fact that there are just more people in need, more people calling in, more people wanting the outreach. You know, the big indicator could be the tripling of the grief counseling sessions. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's the in-person group session. Uh, individual, yeah. For individual. Correct, individual, yeah. Um, you know, so when I was reviewing uh, uh, the service unit increases, that was the one that sort of stuck with me the most, is the, the individual need for um, support around loss and grief. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, are there um, sort of care for the caregiver programs at IOA? I mean, for pe folks who are, there's secondary trauma, you know. For, yeah. Yeah. Right, and so um, there is a component of that in the CESP program, right, with the grief and loss groups, you know. Um, uh, sometimes people, people call in who have lost somebody, and maybe they're not exactly suicidal, but they're going through a major life trauma. And um, the Friendship Line has the capacity, well, first, to field the call, and second, to get them appropriate services, whether it's with this program or something else. So I, I guess my question was more towards the volunteers who are on the line or the, the staffing. Mm -hmm. do, do they, is, the, is there some support for them? Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's a great question. The Friendship Line counselors that are now staffed, there is someone there for every hour of the, sh of the day. So the 15-hour shift is, is supervised by the Friendship Line counselors. So they are there for the volunteers. If the volunteers have any questions, if an unexpected call comes in that maybe they need some assistance with, yeah. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Any other comments or questions? Okay, um, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you. Item B. Requesting authorization to enter into a new grant with Transmetro for the provision to provide transportation services for Office of the Public Conservator and Adult Protective Services during the period of September 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2021 in the total amount not to exceed $80,000. Welcome, Sandra. Good afternoon, President Sedinia, fellow commissioners, and executive director McSpadden. I'm Sandra Texera, the program manager at Texas Public Conservator Office. In the regular function of the Public Conservator Office and the Adult Protective Services Program, we often need transportation services to serve clients who have very high levels of need. Through the use of this contract, we'll be able to provide this service to those linked to these programs. The Public Conservator uses this service approximately five to six times a month typically to transport clients between varying levels of care, to attend legal proceedings and or medical appointments. In the adult protective services context, transportation is used to assist clients to meet with legal services providers, attend medical appointments and or to obtain benefits. Commissioners, I seek your approval for this contract. Thank you for the consideration and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you, any comments or questions? I did have one. Quick question. So the staff for Transmetro will provide courteous and respectful service to vulnerable clients that may have mental illness, cognitive impairment, physical frailty, wheelchair, uh, assisted device, mobility, et cetera. Um, are they also trained in cultural competency, um, LGBTQ awareness, uh, different language considerations as well? That's a really good question. I believe that came up in one of the discussions, but I, 
I defer to the contract manager to verify. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Commissioner Lewis? He's going to speak. Then we haven't asked for public comment. I just want to get. Good afternoon. Uh, Steve Kim, uh, contract manager for Human Services Agency. Uh, although those are very good uh, traits and uh, skill sets, uh, that was not part of the original association we had. However, that was uh, something that if we need to kind of incorporate as part of uh, uh, association going forward, we'd certainly like to take that into consideration. Sure. Uh, Commissioner Liu? Um, this is a new contract, okay. How many people bid for this contract? How many agencies? Two. How many? Two. Two? Okay. So they were selected. Okay. I have a question. This is a new program. How would the client be, before the servant, how is this handled in transporting the clients? Through our previous contractor, we this is a new contract for us, but oh. we had a previous provider. Oh, okay. Yes. And how many clients are we talking about? Well, we use this service about five to six times a month. Our unit caseload is about 550 people, so it's it's not often. Okay. And and I just look at the budget. It seemed like uh, it's a little bit kind of high, $85 an hour. It, I don't know. I don't think. I have no money to take trans public. Uh, I, I take public transportation, which is free. Okay, <laughs> so I'm, I'm just wondering: is eighty-five dollars an hour, and it's a minimum of four hours per trip? Am I correct? That is correct. And also, the attendant care is uh, forty-nine fifty an hour. Isn't that expensive? Just a question. I don't know. Because I know that um, uh, some of um, the residents uh, in my facility, they use uh, attendant care, and it's like $25 an hour. And this is $49.50. So I, I'm just kind of asked the question. Isn't that a little bit high? So I think a lot of it also depends on the type. Use the microphone, please. Uh, John Sudakawa, uh, Contracts Director with HSA. Um, a lot of the people are coming out of like mental health facilities and being transported from like a hospital uh, out of hospitalization to a program or back and stuff. So, I, so it's not like a normal transportation where you're just going in there. That it's 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 kind of the rare circumstance where you have to bring in someone under that type of situation to be able to move someone from like a facility to a, a home where they're going to live or or back. So there's higher li liability. Is that? Commissioner Pappas? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'd like to um, point out that the, uh, the attendant is not always okay. the required part of the, the services. Uh, typically, services are provided by the driver themselves. Uh, if there are places where park and accessibility, uh, or if there's a special, uh, there's, there's no parking where uh, attendant has to assist in the uh, disembarkation and uh, uh, location to the actual appointment itself, or have special needs, that's where the, the, spe the separate attendant is added. So this is not a standard addition to the hour plus the attendant. It's uh, attendant is an optional that they're providing for us. So are you telling me that maybe also the attendant have some special training? It's not the regular attendant who does housework. That is my understanding, but also I think it's more so with the, the manpower and the uh, extra uh, uh, assistance available. Thank you. 
Thank you. And what um, kind of vehicle do they use? Does Transamerica have its own vehicles, or does it, it has its own vehicles? Yes, they do. Yes, in fact, they uh, have their yard right across by 16th and uh, San Bruno Avenue, right off the, uh, by UPS, uh, UPS uh, by the freeway. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Commissioner Wallenberg? I did have one other quick question. So services will be typically requested by email. Um, I would assume that if uh, a provision, that there is a provision if um, a, uh, there's a crisis situation or someone needs to be reached faster that it would be by phone or through other means of communication. Is that correct? That's correct. We've um, discussed that in the event there's something more urgent that they would be willing to help us because they have a rather large fleet. Sure. Thanks. Thank you. Any other comments or questions, Commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Every commissioner should say aye. Aye. Okay. Thank you. Any opposed? No. no. Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you very much, Sandra. Thank you. Okay. Um, any general public comment or any announcement? Commissioner, we have to vote on A. Did we? We did. Oh, we voted on A. We voted on both. Okay. A and right. B. Both? My apologies. Yes. Okay. Um, any announcements? Yeah. Patty. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Shereen, Deputy Director. I wanted to announce the OMI Health and Wellness Fair that's coming up September 15th. It's a Saturday from 11 to 2. I put out flyers for all of you, and I also put flyers out for um, guests here that are in Chinese, Spanish, and English. And it's something we've been working at really hard, and you know, we're happy to say our event is growing. We've got five community business sponsors this year. We've got an amazing raffle, um, free vaccinations, blood pressure checks, uh, dental screening, and it's a family affair. It's fun for all, and so, you know, you're welcome to come join us. We would invite you and just want to get the word out. We'll be sending it out electronically all over the city, too. Thank you, Patty. Any other announcements? Any other public comment? Do I have a motion to adjourn? So move. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. By rising vote, we have adjourned.